This is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Dan Tapiero. Dan is a global macro strategist. He has worked with some of the most prolific investors of all time, Stanley Druckenmiller, Julian Robertson, Michael Steinhardt, just to name a few. We had a really great conversation this morning about the global macro perspective, about uh, Fed Bullard's projections, about uh, unemployment rising to 30% and GDP taking quite a significant hit. We talked about some of the helicopter money coming in and the overall market. We talked about uh, global macro in terms of what's happening out there, where one of his kind of acknowledgement, prestige, and foresight would actually start allocating. Dan talked a lot about gold, uh, which is interesting because usually we talk mostly about digital assets on the show, but he did talk a lot about gold. But then he also made his case for Bitcoin, which was a very interesting uh, thought process on that and one I highly recommend listening to. Remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear an amazing conversation with Dan Tapiero. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. What extraordinary times we are living in, and I'm really happy to have Dan Tapiero with me today. Dan is someone I have leaned in on as someone who is an expert. He has been working in the industry, in the financial industry, for many, many years as a portfolio manager and analyst with a number of well-known investors such as Stan Druckenmiller from Duquesne, Michael Steinhardt, Julian Robertson, and many others. Dan, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, things are tough out there, uh, but it feels to me like we're getting on the right track. Uh, you know, this move with the Fed um, going to unlimited, uh, I, I think uh, I was reading a few comments on Twitter this morning, but I think some of the gold crowds certainly have been waiting for those comments for 30 years. And um you know, we got them from the ECB a few years ago, but I mean, this is really a, a watermark um, event in the history of the Fed. Um, and I think it's the exact right thing to do. I mean, the, the credit markets have been completely frozen. Uh, munis and uh, even investment grade credit, uh, the markets were not trading. Uh, I don't, I haven't checked on them today, um, but certainly last week, volatility had gotten to levels um, that we'd never, you know, that even beyond 08 levels, the same thing with crude volatility. And I don't think it was just the levels um, that we got to, it was the speed. And, you know, you probably, you can go all the way back uh, to, you know, the 30s, uh, 29, 30s, and even that collapse was not of the speed and viciousness uh, of this collapse. Right. Um, across markets, and I, 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 I like. I think it's important to emphasize that because many people just look at the S and P, or look at their favorite stocks. Um, but you know, as a global macro guy for 30 years, the things that you know, I'm looking at all the markets, the currency markets, um, you know, the extreme movement up in the dollar, uh, the, you know, the as I, as I mentioned, the the illiquidity and even in markets like the treasury uh, markets were becoming illiquid. So we were really in a danger zone and I'm glad the fed 
uh, stepped up, and I'm very hopeful of this fiscal package. I think that um, Trump and the, the Senate, I think they're on top of things now, um, just waiting for, for a good result there. So let's talk about that. Let's break down a lot of the things that are happening in real time because they are happening in a such a velocity. Um, you've been at this for, you said, about 30 years. And as I mentioned before, some of the names that you have worked with who are anyone, obviously a family office knows these names, any institutional investors knows these names. You have seen it a lot. You obviously were there during the 08, 09 financial crisis when we saw a massive systemic risk. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I saw you tweet about this, and by the way, we'll give Dan's uh, Twitter handle uh, at the end because you should be following him if you're not already. And we're also going to be talking about a lot of things here, so uh, keep that in mind. You and I have both been talking about what uh, Bullard, uh, the St. Louis president of the Fed Bank, uh, said recently where he predicted unemployment may hit 30% in the second quarter because of shutdowns to combat the coronavirus, COVID-19, with an unprecedented 50% drop in gross domestic product, GDP. Why? What is going on? Obviously, we're all in quarantine. We're all kind of isolating. And uh, I'm here in New York. I know you're on the East Coast, too, and we're dealing with that. But, you know, talk to us about, you know, of times that you have been an investor, of times that you have researched, you know, things that have happened in global macro environments, what is happening here, Dan? Okay, well, I mean, I guess, you know, where, where is this, uh, where is this within the context of other events that have happened? I mean, look, um, this is a whole bunch of different crises wrapped up into one Um I think, uh, as I said, in terms of the speed uh, of the decline and the severity of it and the move from con conditions being fine to conditions, let's say, you want to say being the best to the worst, there's nothing been, there's been nothing like this. Um, the previous crises, you know, the, everything rhymes, uh, you know, not, not exactly the same. I mean, we had a severe crisis in Europe in 92, 93. Um, but that was driven by geopolitical uh, concerns and, uh, you know, Germany undergoing the worst recession since the war. Uh, 97, 98 was dramatic. Some of the moves in the Asian stock markets up in 93 and then down into 97, 98 uh, were pretty severe. Um, you had massive uh, collapses, uh, peg D breaks in Asia in 97, and that followed with Russia's peg D uh, break in 98. These were single events uh, that were very bad for specific countries or locations, but, and, and then also, you know, rolled over into the other markets and what they used to call contagion. Um, you know, of course, I, I think the big post, uh, the NASDAQ, um, 2000 to 03 was a very, you know, it was a very slow period. There were excesses in that period, uh, the run up into uh, Y2K and unlimited, basically Greenspan offered unlimited liquidity um, because people feared that there would be problems uh, turning over into the year 2000. Um, you know, that, that was a much more uh, powerful uh, up move. Um, but then, you know, we had interest rates that we could bring down quite a lot. Two years were at 6%, I think, in, in 2000, or at least that's where I, I remember getting in, and eventually went down, uh, you know, down to zero real rates. Um, 
in, in 03, but that was a sort of a, uh, it, it was something big and, and it was like a slow moving wave, I would have to say. And so, you know, there was time for people to respond and September 11th, actually, or one, um, there's some elements today that are similar. Uh, it, you know, we were attacked and, you know, then the market shut for a week. Uh, I sort of feel what's happened now is similar to an attack. Um, in a way, we were attacked by the virus. Uh, we, we didn't shut down to the degree in, in 01. Um, but, you know, people aren't talking about this that much, but the virus just started to, um, um, I would say, just started to have some deeper impact on the markets. And then Saudi and Russia hit us. I mean, it really feels like Russia and they almost attacked us with that um, breaking up of, of the cartel and the, you know, oil is down 70% from January. Uh, I think it's probably, you know, uh, it's uh, it's probably still down 30, you know, 30, 40, 40% from the, I guess it was 50, it's now 23 from, from that announcement. Uh, the, the announcement of that, uh, of the oil, cartel break, I mean, couldn't have come at a worse time uh, for us. Uh, it couldn't have been timed better if you were someone looking to make an attack on us. Uh, so, you know, that's really contributed as well to the deflationary, uh, underlying deflationary tone. And I think that's important because when the Fed recently cut rates to zero, um, the Fed funds rate, uh, you know, un unfortunately, uh, because the oil drop is so, was so severe and also um, we had such dramatic liquidation of other assets, um, inflationary expectations have fallen faster than the Fed has cut rates. And so the five-year real rate, um, which I tweeted about a few times, uh, I think is really important. The five-year real rate went from minus 80 basis points before the Fed cut, which was somewhat supportive, to plus 50 basis points. Mm. And you know, so the the market rates, uh, real rates, actually spiked up because, as I said, inflation expectations dropped so quickly. So the the speed of this, um, it, it 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 reminds me sort of a little bit of September 11th, and sort of in in, in that sense of there's been an attack on the country. Um, but then skipping forward to 07, uh, 07 08, Again, that was, uh, you know, there were excesses in housing and, you know, too much leverage in the banking sector. We don't really have that this time. Um, I think this is more about. Um, well, can I, can I interject there for a second? I want to I want, I interject there for a well, second. Let me just Dan. say one, one more thing. And, sure. And that is that, you know, things were slowing before the virus and the oil attack. Um, you know, I, I did an interview with Real Vision and. In September or October, and the data was slowing. U.S.-China um, negotiations and trade uh, issues back and forth that slowed the economy. Um, so it, it was that there were underlying, we, you know, longest bull market ever. Uh, there were some underlying issues before the virus and before the oil, and it's just that they exacerbated things to just such a degree as they both hit exactly at the same time. And so that that brought forth that that existing trend. So I'm going to 
think about this for a second, but I, I think at the same time, you know, in 0708, the exposure of the system and the systemic risk and the mortgages that were being brought to market, obviously with FICO scores of, you know, 550 or below and all the garbage that happened there. And then obviously the CDS that compounded all the issues and then exponentially grew those issues to the atomic bomb that landed us in 0809. I think, you know, a lot of people, and I, I know Raul, obviously someone that you work with often and talk to often, talked about this a few months ago, the amount of corporate debt out there, and I think it, it was in excess of over $3 trillion at the time, and I think it's probably grown, that has been basically deemed junk. And now we're seeing Boeing and we're seeing uh, other companies, I think Occidental just got downgraded to junk. Um, you're seeing all of these corporations that have overlevered and have been using buybacks and have been using, you know, excessive dividends to basically pump up their stock price and not necessarily grow organically and not necessarily defend their coffers. And so could that also be another element that has been exposed by the virus in this particular situation? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a global macro investor uh, and um, not you know, not as much focused on specific stocks or, um, you know, even specific corporate problems. I would say that, yeah, there was, you know, a lot of corporate debt out there, um, but that wasn't the only market that was frozen. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm looking across markets and saying that generally liquidity has been too tight, um, you know, that the Fed started uh, uh, started over tightened and I think you saw the result of that in December 2018 mm -hmm. only to be reversed uh, then and then balance sheet finally um, in what was it November last year in, in 19 did they um, start increasing the balance sheet again maybe it was December but the, the point is that you know I, I focus on uh, trends in, in liquidity and uh, policy um, and, and the broader markets. And so I think that, you know, w w if the Fed had not been as aggressive as, as they had been raising, maybe some of these corporate problems wouldn't have been exposed, um, you know, at, at, the, at, its very, at its very root, I'm saying. Um, but, you know, clearly it, it's, it's terrible that the, these guys were out there um, in a way, you know, buying back stock and, and now need a, uh, a bailout, but I'm not really, I'm not really the guy who's going to know the ins and outs of that the best, you know, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't comment so much on that. Um, my focus now is, you know, what do we do going forward? How do we, how do we get out of this? And I, I think the authorities are doing the right thing. Um, I think people have to go back to work. I want to talk about the virus. I think it's got to be in a judicious manner. I think people at risk and older people should stay quarantined. Um, but this shutdown of the economy is unprecedented in the history of the country and will do uh, is, is doing huge damage right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just hoping that it's not, as you said, the Bullard 50%, I think is a bit much 50%. Um, GDP drop for the quarter. I, I think uh, 
many of the JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, I think they're closer to 30%. That's two over two annualized. And, um, you know, uh, 20% unemployment to me even seems high. Mm-hmm. I know that we're going to have a spike in unemployment claims on Thursday above 3 million. If you look at a chart of what, you know, that's done historically, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unfathomable. Um, it's the fastest increase of, of any piece of data that I've ever seen. So mm-hmm. um, this is really, really bad. And they are going to need to lean against this with, you know, as the Fed said, unlimited. But, but also, we need to have a plan now to get people back to work, things functioning. Um, otherwise, I fear some of this damage will be structural. And, um, you know, it's going to cause a whole set of other problems down the road uh, that will just take too long to get into here. But um, so let me ask you a question. So we're talking about exposures. We're talking about what the virus has done. I've equated the virus to an MRI on the entire economic system as a whole. And so, you know, as we were kind of leaning over the corporate side and we're moving towards more of a global macro side. I think we saw that there is exposure to the massive amount in the supply chain, the massive amount of leverage that we have on China, that corporations have overlevered and have overbuilt uh, in in China. In my personal opinion, maybe not my firm, maybe not other people out there, but you know, my opinion, maybe it's shared by others that it has exposed weaknesses in the supply chain. And then when you're dealing with kind of widening out the gap. You know, here in the United States, 70% of our GDP is equated to us, the consumer. And that's been known for a while. And possibly is that also exposing the fact that we are overexposed and potentially not diversified enough as a country in terms of our GDP? Maybe we need to start manufacturing more here. What are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly possible. And uh, yeah, I, I look, I. It, it makes some sense to me that we should try to be less reliant on uh, on China for certain things. Um, but I, I think the problem is more complicated than that. Um, and I'm not sure I really can speak to that. I mean, and, and I, what I mean is that I, like, I can remember uh, doing some work uh, not, not too long ago looking at how many different places uh, a car seat comes from. Just a car seat in a, in a, in a regular old car um, gets parts from 70 different places. And so I think to untangle, you know, globalization, I, you know, I, or wind it back, I think that's going to be tough. Um, I think maybe what, what happens going forward is that we're just more thoughtful now that we don't just uh, focus on price, that we have contingencies uh, or that in the planning um, of, you know, where we put production, perhaps uh, there's certain considerations that, that we will uh, take on now that we might not have in the past. Um, but, again, I, I, I wish I knew more on the subject. Uh, I, I don't. So as a global macro guy, so obviously United States with Bullard's productions with – Apparently, just so according to the last two hours, India is now going into a lockdown. That's 1.3 billion people in a very large economy. 
with China, obviously, in September, in January through parts of uh, February, that was 19% of global GDP that was basically shut down. And so where in the world, as a global macro investor, where are you looking? Well, I think, um, I think this is probably the best time that I can ever recall to be long gold. Um, and I would say Bitcoin, too, and I'll come back to that in a second. But um, you know, gold is very sensitive to liquidity and certainly liquidity from the Fed. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I did an interview just a few weeks ago about new narratives driving the gold price. And I think one of them is that uh, gold increasingly, um, and this might be interesting for some of your family office um, clients, is that I think gold... Um, in coming years has the potential to replace uh, the government bonds uh, as, uh, not completely, but replace government bonds as an allocation in the portfolio. And I think what I mean by that is that, you know, many traditional portfolios, let's say are 70-30 equity bond, and for the last 30 years, you know, those bonds have helped you every time we've had a slowdown. Um, you know, the Fed has cut, your bonds uh, have appreciated, they've offset any equity losses. As we uh, approach the zero bound in the U.S., and I think, you know, U.S. rates could probably still head down closer to zero across the curve, um, you know, to follow Europe. Uh, I don't know that we'll be negative. Ten years in Europe are minus 50 bits and, and Japan negative. But we certainly will drop more. And if you're an institution and you say, okay, well, I used to have these bonds as yield. There's no more yield. Um, I used to have them because they acted as a great hedge. Uh, they're not really a hedge because below zero, bonds will have a hard time appreciating. And the one asset that will be sensitive um, to, um, you know, the authorities attempting to get things going again that has no upside cap is, is gold. And gold uh, also will act as a great hedge in the portfolio. And so I think you know, I think everybody should have about 5%. Uh, Ray Dalio has 10%. Um, there are other investors who, who've allocated about 10%. But uh, if you're sitting with no gold in this period and you've made a lot on the bond uh, portion of your portfolio, uh, I think it's it'll be a trend over the next few years that we're going to see gold being used uh differently in institutional portfolios. Institutional, I just mean larger family, you know, family office as well as uh, potentially um, endowments and uh, even pension funds potentially. Hmm. Uh, so I, I, I think this is uh, uh, one of the strongest sort of new narratives out there. Uh, there's a reason that there are shortages for the first time. And it's not just because refineries have been closing down because of the virus. There were shortages starting a few weeks ago um, in the physical market. And the mint, in fact, I think ran out two weeks ago. Mm. So, um, you know, today is probably the most extreme example. Uh, people who have been in the gold market for 30 years have, haven't seen uh, premiums open up like this because there really indeed is a shortage of gold. And that's without even getting into the fact that uh, production from mines over the next three to five years is expected to drop every year because CapEx um, in the past five years 
uh, collapsed amongst miners. You know, mm -hmm. The gold price was sideways for seven years. Um, people stopped looking for gold. They stopped investing uh, in, in looking for new gold. And so there's a structural underlying um, drop coming in supply. And now all of a sudden, we have an extreme case of uh, extreme demand um, driven by policy changes, which people didn't think were possible a few months ago. And then, of course, driven by, you know, a sharp uh, attack uh, to the demand side. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm sorry, to the, um, to the supply side closed by, uh, driven by some of the, uh, the refinery closings recently. Yeah. So I think gold and then gold equities, which mm -hmm. I'm not really an expert on, but they are extremely cheap on any valuation measure. If you would say to me, what's the cheapest asset out there that, you know, it, they basically have never rallied. And I think now we're just beginning a massive bull market in those mining equities. So right. that's something they should take a look at. And then the, the last thing I would say on Bitcoin is that, you know, and you start seeing this narrative also being discussed, which is that Bitcoin was invented as a result of the, you know, the systemic or the structural problems within the, this existing or what I call legacy system. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever going to own Bitcoin because you think it's the future and because you think it's a superior form of money um, and because you think it can be the, you know, the base layer or the, or I call it the, the value protocol for the internet, which I think it will be. I mean, this is the time at five, $6,000. It's, it's cheap, very cheap. In my opinion, market caps, only a hundred billion dollars. Um, you know, I've talked about this aspect of it being uh, on top of it, having its, its, uh, the attributes of, of hard money. Um, it's also a security network and, and maybe, you know, and, and this concept of a security truth machine where you mm -hmm. run things on top of uh, bloom uh, on top of um, uh, Bitcoin, uh, or you can, you know, use the technology or the, I would say the network uh, capital B um, as a verification uh, processing machine. Uh, I mean, that, just that alone is worth trillions of dollars. So, I, again, I, I I think all of your family client, uh, family office clients, they, they should all have at least one percent uh, in Bitcoin, if not more. Um, and also, you know, the other thing in terms of the supply and demand game, you talked about that in relation to gold. Obviously, the supply has been dwindling, the demand has been penting up. Bitcoin as well has a you know, a 21 million hard cap has already been mined about 18 and then change 18 million and change and is going through a algorithmically approved already been done consensus change uh, in, uh, in a few in about 60 or 70 days, the halving. And so the the rewards for mining Bitcoin will change will be cut in half from 12 and a half to six and a quarter. And so you're, you're dealing with another demand uh, potential pent up and also obviously the supply uh, of newly minted Bitcoin. So is that also factoring to some of your thoughts, too? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I think so. I mean, again, this habiting has been discussed quite a lot. Um, 
I think it just, it's, um, you know, it's one of the, the features of, of Bitcoin. And, um, uh, but I, I think, I think that's sort of known. Um, I think what's different and new now is that the breakdown of the existing system, even if we're, you know, able to muddle through with these extreme policy measures by the governments around the world, the central banks around the world, it's a, there's a clear sign of breakage that the system um, has problems. And, you know, Bitcoin doesn't. <laughs> and, I mean, it should be in stark uh, relief uh, that, and I had, I did mention one tweet. I, I think when the price collapsed 50% in one day, um, then stabilized around 5,000, uh, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have any government intervention. Mm -hmm. you know, Bitcoin doesn't need it. Bitcoin is robust. Bitcoin doesn't really get frozen, right? Doesn't, you know, you'll find bids and offers in Bitcoin. It's not, you know, it's not like if you have a, a, a some junk bond and you call up a broker to sell them, they say, well, we don't have any bid at all. Um, those OTC markets where a lot of Wall Street makes its markets off exchange, they just froze. And uh, Bitcoin in stark relief just, you know, is very robust. Mm -hmm. um, it's an independent system. It, it has a 10-year track record. Uh, as you know, never been hacked. The yep. greatest investment price performance in the history of investment, yep. depending upon where you start the started off, between two and three hundred percent annualized return for ten years. Uh, even if going forward it's not as dramatic, uh, there's still dramatic upside there. Um, so I, I, I think that I, I think Bitcoin um, is proving its robustness right now. And that, to me, is more important in a way than the having. I agree. All really great points. Um, I think what we'd like to do as we kind of wrap up, and I know it's a busy day. You know, we did this with Mark Yusko the other day, too. And I think it's important. You've had 30 years of experience. And as I've said before, you worked with some of the most prolific investors of all time. Um you know, if you could, I think a lot of people need to hear that, you know, especially new managers, people that might be new to the family offices that are running them that are listening to this. You know, if you're a CIO and you're you know, in your 30s or maybe a little bit younger, God bless because you got a great job. But also, you know, I think it's important for people to know, you know, that this too shall pass. And I think Yusko says this often is that this too shall pass. You know, from your perspective, you know, I'm not asking you to forecast. I'm not asking you to project out. But from your experience, what can you tell people that are, might be, you know, kind of shell-shocked right now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, <clears throat> I think that um, the Fed has unlimited, again, macro guy. Um, I think um, the Fed has unlimited liquidity uh, to deal with problems. Uh, you know, we might have a slowdown. I, I always think that, you know, we can fix problems and people have ideological differences about how they should be fixed or why or when. Uh, people complaining about the Fed, uh, you know, they, they've ruined this, they ruined that. It all started with Greenspan. You know, the, the bottom line is 
I, I get most worried when I see problems that are not being addressed. Um, I see problems here that are being addressed. I think there is a little bit of a, uh, a difference in, in this uh, crisis a little bit because um, this virus has shut down activity to a greater degree than we've ever seen before. But again, I think Trump and the authorities are aware uh, that the shutdown is now uh, going to cause problems, and so they'll make adjustments. And so, yeah, I think this too will pass. I do. I think that it will be it, it'll pass easier if you're long some of the right assets. And again, I, I think gold and Bitcoin are necessary in your portfolio. Um, I think that you know we've had slowdowns before that have lasted uh, years in some cases, and we're able to manage through them. So. You know, we've just come from a very ro robust period. Uh, you know, CIOs and fund managers can make can make returns when things are slow. I think you just need to, you know, pivot, um, think deeply about a new world that may be developing right now. I, I think the next five years will not uh, be like the last five years, and there'll be tremendous opportunities. Um, you know. I think you just, but they're not going to be the same. Right. So as long as you're open-minded and, you know, interested in learning new things and finding new markets and thinking about a possible future that might exist, that future will exist. And I, I and I think it'll be a good future. It, it's just going to be different than the one that we've been, uh, the experience is going to be different than the one we've been, been having over the last, five to five to ten years so that's what i would say just stay focused don't get down uh you know if stuff is keeping you up too late at night and you're not sleeping reduce your exposure <laughs> um you know reduce your exposure the most important thing during these periods of crisis is to get your sleep that's right and, you know nothing and, and and i'll tell you that's one of my secrets uh, is that I, I get eight hours a day, almost every day, no matter what. And, uh, and, and if I'm not, you know, and, and if I miss things because of that, then so be it. The most important thing is clarity of mind and focus in these periods. I agree. So where can people find you, Dan? I alluded to the fact that you're pretty active on Twitter these days, which is great because you have great insight that you share. Uh, where can uh, everyone else try to find you otherwise? I think Twitter, you know, I just started Twitter in, you know, I don't know, August, September last year after that Real Vision video I did on Bitcoin got so, so much um, uh, press. And I, I really like it. I think it's a great community of, uh, of uh, smart, uh, interesting uh, people who, you know, enjoy debate on different investment themes. I think your clients should all be plugged in in one way or another. I find at least the, 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 the uh, Twitter feeds that I have um, more useful in a lot of ways than the rundowns uh, that I get from all the various brokers from Wall Street. And, you know, also, you know, the fact that it's all free, 
is, <laughs> is phenomenal. I mean, I, right. I, I, historically, I have paid a fortune for all this, uh, and still do to some degree, um, this information. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Twitter, you know, it's a wonderful place, and you've handed out my uh, handle, DTAPTAP. There you go. Find Dan. Dan, thank you for coming on today and talking about everything that's happening out there. You know, as I mentioned before, as I mentioned, Dan is a brilliant global macro strategist. He has been working with some of the most prolific investors of Wall Street for the last 30 plus years. His insights into the market, into gold, and especially into Bitcoin are cherished, and he has gotten a lot of positive attention for those thoughts that he shares on a daily basis. So find him. We'll make sure that his uh, Twitter handle is attached to this. Dan, thanks for coming on. Stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to see each other soon. You too. Good part. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.